Okay, if you um, have got a Bible, you might want to be turning to the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, and uh, chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, we have a few which we can lend you, so, well, you only need one, but um, just put your hand up, and one will come out to you. In fact, there's no one needs any. Oh, yes, there are. That's cool. So um, we're going to be reading from Genesis 13 in a moment. We've been looking at the uh, story, the life of Abraham, when I've been preaching over the last few times. So far, we have seen that Abraham is a guy who uh, didn't have a lot going for him right at the start when he was living in Ur. He wasn't some amazing guy. He wasn't uh, uh, living a fantastic life. He uh, had a pretty dysfunctional family. Really, he probably would have been the sort of person who would have appeared on the Jeremy Kyle show if, uh, if that was around at the time. But God chooses him to be the man through whom he's going to bless all the nations of the world, or through his descendants. Eventually, obviously, Jesus would bless all the nations of the world. Pretty big stuff, really, for a guy who uh, doesn't have a great deal about him. We've seen that Abraham starts off well. He leaves his home, as God has asked him to do. Uh, He leaves most of his family. Um, God asked him to leave his home and his family. But then fear gets the better of him. He ends up in Egypt. He goes down to Egypt because there's a famine. And he ends up selling his wife to the Pharaoh. Really, he gets paid for her. She gets taken into his household. He pretends that she is his sister. Well, actually, she kind of is his sister. He's not really lying because he's married his half-sister. That's what I mean about appearing on Jeremy Kyle. You know, my wife is really my sister. You can see the headlines there. Um, But uh, God rescues the situation in Egypt, um, and Abraham repents. He learns from it. He ends up going back to where he was. He ends up going back to God and worshipping God again. I guess that's a key thing to learn, and we'll see that later on today, that when we mess up, when we uh, go away from God, when we make big mistakes and uh, our hearts turn away from him, uh, the, the key thing is to repent, to turn back, to come back to God. So today we're going to be reading from Genesis 13. We're going to read through quite a bit of, the, of, uh, of, of this story. We're going to read Genesis 13 and 14 right through to verse 16 of Genesis 14. So get yourself settled in, get yourself a coffee or something. And um, we're going to focus today a lot more on uh, Lot, Abraham's nephew, he gets himself into a lot of trouble. Um, my kids have been watching Veggie Tales. Uh, I don't know if you know about Veggie Tales, uh, sort of children's thing. It, it can be quite helpful for kids because uh, they can get to know some of the Bible stories. It can be a little bit confusing, though. Um, so this morning I, I was having breakfast with uh, our two kids, Grace and Joshua, and uh, I said, they said, oh, what are you preaching on today? I said, well, I'm going to be preaching on... Uh, story of Abraham. I'm going to be preaching on Lot. I said, do you know who Lot is? Joshua said, yeah, yeah, I know who Lot is. I said, oh, good. Who who is he? He said, he's the butternut squash. (laughs) (laughs) So, slightly confusing. Hopefully, he'll get a bit of a better view of Lot uh, at the end of today. Really, um, well, let's read the story. Let's read the story of uh, of Lot uh, from Genesis chapter 13. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. He'd got a lot of that from the Pharaoh, by the way. Uh, This wealth had come from the Pharaoh. He'd let him keep it, even though he kind of sold his wife off. From the Negev, he went to place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he'd first built an altar. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was also moving with Abraham... Uh, had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they weren't able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. I don't know if that's another Jeremy Kyle moment, sort of sudden revelation, but maybe he means it in another way. Is that the whole, is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. 
So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north, south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring would be counted. Go walk through the land, length and breadth, for I'm giving it to you. So Abraham moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Okay, into chapter 14. This is the uh, tricky bit. At this time, Amraphael, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elasar, Kordolama, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Golim, went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeba, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoah. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidim, the Salt Sea. For twelve years they had been subject to Kedoleoma, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedoleoma and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Rephaites in Ashtaroth Kerneem, the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in Shaveh Kirathaim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole ter- territory of the, Am- <laughs> I could stumble over the word territory, <laughs> of the Amalekites, as well as the Amorites who were living in Hazeon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Kedoleoma, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Armaphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elasar. Four kings against five. Why didn't they just say that? Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, and when the king of Sodom and Gomorrah Kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and they went away. This is the key bit. They also carried off Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions, since he was living in Sodom. One who had escaped came and reported this to Abraham the Hebrew. Now Abraham was living near the great trees of Marmara, the Amorite, a brother of Eshel and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abraham. When Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born into his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Thank goodness somewhere it's called (laughs) something easy. During the night, Abraham divided his men to attack them and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobar, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and other people. All right, we made it. Okay, so... That's what we're going to be looking at today, the story of Lot, uh, part of the story of Lot, certainly up until this point. Lot is Abraham's nephew. He's not a butternut squash. He's Abraham's nephew. And he has come out with Abraham, uh, and he's traveling through the promised land. Now, really, Lot shouldn't have been with him. He shouldn't have been there, because God told Abraham, leave your whole family. Don't take anyone with you, apart from, obviously, his immediate family, his wife, um, but maybe Abraham sees Lot as some sort of adopted son, so he brings him along. Now, the New Testament describes Lot as a righteous man. In other words, a believer. We'll see that uh, in a moment. Um, but it's hard to see, really. He's described as a righteous man. But as we read this story, it's hard to see that that is the case. Because Lot is nothing like Abraham. Abraham is looking to God for the nations to be blessed. Okay, he had a little bit of a blip where he he sent his wife off to live with Pharaoh. But, you know, apart from that, Abraham is focusing on God. He's wanting the nations to be blessed as has been promised. Lot is just looking out for any blessings that he can get for himself. Abraham goes into Egypt and yet he messes up. But he learns about faith from that. He repents. He learns about faith, what it means to trust God. Lot goes with Abraham into Egypt, but he doesn't learn that. He just learns about wealth. He learns, oh, this Egypt is really wealthy. This is really nice, isn't it? So when actually he looks out on the land, 
he goes, oh, this part of the land is nice. I might go into that. It's like Egypt, he says. Lot just learns about wealth. He's enticed by wealth. Abraham is about God's agenda. He's following God's agenda. Lot just wants to be God's agenda. He wants it to all center around himself. And there are some church-going people who see Christianity a bit like Lot saw faith in God. They see Christianity and God as all about making their lives better, sorting out their problems, God meeting their needs. Basically, a faith which is very me-centered and not a faith which is God-centered. That would distinguish the two of these people, Abraham was very much God-centered. He was about what God had called him to do. He left his home and his family and he went following the call of God. He's worshipping God. He's in communication with God. He's talking to God at different times. God speaks to him. He's trusting in God. Lot, there's no indication that he's speaking to God at all. There's no indication that he's trusting in God. He's there. He's described as a righteous man. We can only assume he believes in God, but actually, no, it's all about him. It's very much me-centered, and we can see that. And the danger is that that can creep into our Christianity, because it creeps into our society. Our society is very me-centered. Our society is very much all about ourselves. And so we can see that in Christianity. We can see that in church life. I looked upon a website, and this was the, this was a UK website, a UK church, um, It was the first one I looked at, actually. I looked up, they had a conference, and this is what it said on their website about the conference that they were holding. It said, it named a conference speaker, so it said, this conference speaker will give you an understanding for why you are who you are, and why you've come to do what you do. He'll give you time to embrace yourself, and take the real you with you into the future God has forged. He will be imparting the gift of faith to reinterpret your past release it and reposition it to become a catalyst to your future. Name of the conference. This conference is about you. It's about your future. It's about our future. It's a new awakening. That's not an American website. That's a, a church, not a million miles from Sheffield. And it's all about you. In that one summary... There were 12 yous or yours, one hour, and one mention of God. It's all about, this conference is about you. It's a Christian conference. But we get into that. We can get sucked into it. Oh, yeah, that's what it's about. That's what Christian life's about. Lot would have been at that conference. He would have wanted to know how God was going to bless him and his life. That's his attitude, and we see it played out here in this passage. Lot and Abraham have both accumulated lots of possessions. Presumably they had some when they left their home, and they kind of sold up their house and everything, and off they went. They gained more possessions as they were coming into Egypt. The Pharaoh gave them a lot of possessions for uh, Abraham's wife, Sarai, and uh, even though he realized that she was Abraham's wife, and she gave him back and said to go, he didn't take away those possessions that he'd given. So, it could have seemed fantastic news, real blessing here from God. God didn't give the blessings. They weren't accumulated, and so they caused trouble. And we see here that the possessions that they have are beginning to cause trouble. Um, so, we, it says that in, uh, in verse 6, the land couldn't support them while they stayed together because their possessions were so great They weren't able to stay together. Quarreling starts to break out. There's other people living in the land as well. So I guess there's not much space for all the herds and flocks that Abraham and Lot have started to get. Maybe they're starting to argue about who should be grazing on this land. You know, actually, you know, my sheep were here first. No, my sheep were here first. It's starting to affect their relationships. That's what happens when wealth becomes central. It starts to get in the way of relationships. Abraham sees this, and he knows that his relationship with Lot is far more important than wealth. And so he says in verse 8, let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or my herds, your herdsmen and mine, we're brothers, is not the whole land before you, let's part 
company. He says, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. What Abram's basically saying is, look, our relationship's more important than this. Tell you what, let's just separate. You can have the pick of the land. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be the one choosing. Choose where you want. If you go that way, then I'll take my flocks this way. If you go that way, I'll take my uh, possessions and herds and flocks this way. Now, we might think, oh, hang on, hang on. Abraham, he's doing it again. He's giving up on what God had said to him, like he did with Sarai. You know, God had said to Abraham, your descendants will be many, all nations on earth will be blessed by you, you'll have a son, uh, all of these things. And Abraham's thinking, all right, okay, I'll just let my wife go off to, to, to Pharaoh. Well, he's not going to have a son if, if she's with Pharaoh, is, it, is he? He's given up on the promises of God. He's kind of gone back on them out of selfishness. Is he doing the same here with the land? Is he saying, okay, you take half the land, I'll take half the land? Is he actually giving up on some of what God has said he will have? No, I would say he's not. Because the difference is, when he was in Egypt, he wasn't walking with God. There's no evidence that God's told him to go to Egypt. There's no record of him speaking with God at all. He's not in relationship. He's not worshipping. He's not building altars. He's totally gone away from his relationship with God at that point. But now he's not. Now he is building altars. Now he is worshipping. He's gone back to Bethel and Ai, where he first built an altar. He's calling on the name of the Lord. I think the decision that Abraham is making here is being made out of faith. Abraham is saying, right, I'm trusting in God. I'm trusting that God is going to work this out. This doesn't seem to be working. I'm falling out with my nephew here. He, there's not enough land. But do you know what, God? I'm going to trust you in this. And actually, I'm going to, I'm going to say, Lot, you can have what you... You go whichever way you want. God bless you on your way. You know, you can, you can take it. And he's trusting in God for the outcome. I mean, what else could he do? The only other thing he could really do is, is get all defensive about it and sort of say, well, look, hey, Lot, you know, you've only just tagged along with me. You know, it was me who got called out of, of Ur and Haran, wasn't it? It was me who got called to go into this land. You're just, you're just my nephew. You're just coming. Why should you have all this land? You know, I'm the senior guy here. I'm the one who God's been speaking to. He could start to really play the God has said card. God's told me it's mine. God's told me it's all going to be mine, so just back off. He didn't do that. He didn't cause more conflict. We can, we can do that sometimes. We can, we can be, you know, someone could be acting in a, in a way which we think, this is just not a godly way to act. But how are we going to act to that? How are we going to respond? Are we going to just get all defensive? Are we going to start asserting our eyes? Well, God said that to us, you know. You're in the wrong, you know, I'm going to do this. No, actually, Abraham responded in grace. And often it's good to do that, to respond in grace, to be generous, to trust God for the outcome of something. Maybe someone else isn't quite seeing it the same as you are. It's all right, I'm going to trust God for this. I'm going to just let it go. I'm not going to get too het up about it. That's how Abraham responded. Trusted God. So Lot looks out and he sees that the plain, the whole plain of Jordan, it says in verse 10, was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. You see, he's been seduced by Egypt. Oh, it's like Egypt towards Zohar. He's looking out over this whole land and he doesn't, you know, he's greedy really. He doesn't realize he's piggybacking on Abraham's call. He doesn't think Abraham's the older guy. He's, you know, I'll let him have the best. He's looking out and he's thinking, it's all about me. It's all about my future. It's a new awakening. He's probably thinking, I'm, I'm off into this. And then we get the warning put in, don't we, just at the end of verse 10. Moses puts this in as he writes it. He just says, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like, big warning. You know, if, that, if this was a film, it would be, it would be like the da-da-da moment, you know, that you get in a film. No, no, something's about to happen. It's not good. It's all going to go all wrong. Little warning just put in there. Sodom and Gomorrah says later on, the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. 
This was a, these were cities that were godless cities. Oh, it might have been good land. It might have been beautiful, well-watered. It might have been rich. It might have been fertile. It might have been the obvious choice. But God had other plans for Sodom and Gomorrah because of the godlessness that was going on there. But Lot thought he was going to prosper there. So that's where he was going. He was going towards Sodom and Gomorrah. He wasn't thinking about whether this was a good place to raise his family. He wasn't thinking about whether he was going to prosper in God there. He's just thinking about himself. He's just thinking about his material advancement. He's just thinking what's going to be the better place. How is he going to get richer? What's going to be the nicer place to live? I mean, Surely he would be a fool to pass up on this opportunity of self-advancement. Surely he would be missing out on the future, the new awakening that God has for him. Surely this is God's provision for him. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But again, so seductive, so appealing, so easy for us to get into this way of thinking. I've known a number of people, a number of Christians who've made very similar decisions in their lives for very similar reasons. People who said, oh, well, I'm going to move house. I'm going to move to this other place because actually it's so much nicer. And, you know, I've always wanted to live in the countryside and I've always wanted to have this. Uh, So I, I feel we've got the money to do that now so we can do that. People who move house maybe because a job offer has been, uh, a job has been offered to them which is going to bring them more money or a promotion or more recognition. Um, whatever it might be, better lifestyle. And then when you speak to them and say, well, you know, have you thought about what church you might get involved in? Oh, well, not, not really, but I'm, when we get there, we'll have a look around. I'm sure we'll find something. There's bound to be a church, isn't there? You might say, well, yeah, okay, but what sort of church is it you're looking for? Well, uh, yeah, we did look into it. We've, we've found one. It's not really like our church, you know. It's, but, but it, you know, it's all right, and uh, I'm sure it'll all work out okay. It's foolishness to just get seduced to going into after something because of wealth, because of something looking better, and just neglecting the whole godly side of it. Neglecting worship of God, neglecting what it might be mean for your family. It's short-sighted. How are these families? How are your family going to be encouraged in, in their faith? What about your kids? Oh, well, I'm sure it'll be all all right. You know, I got offered the job, and so God must be in it, really. Not necessarily. Oh, it's, it's just too good an opportunity to pass up. I've actually even heard other Christians who, who've said, and this has saddened me, you know, people who've, who've had these opportunities and they've said, oh, well, there's no church there at all, but, you know, it's only for a year or two, and other Christians have actually said, you know, well, you'll be a fool to pass up such an opportunity. It's a great opportunity. You might as well take it. I'm sure it'll all work out. Actually, no, the fool is the advice. Foolish person is the advice who's just, that's just been given there. Not every opportunity that comes our way comes from God. Sometimes there are temptations which pull us out of God's plans and purposes. Sometimes we need the help of wise and godly people to see it as it is. Of course, maybe God is asking us to go somewhere. And often that happens. That happened with Abraham, didn't it? Abraham got asked to leave his family. God called him out. And God could have said, oh, but what about, what about my wife? How's she going to cope? What about being away from the family? No, actually, God had called. So in that situation, they're trusting in God. It's not, it's very different scenario. He had to leave everything he knew. He went to a land he didn't know. God clearly told him to do it. And so he trusted God for it. It's very different to going somewhere just because it looks good and hoping that it will all work out. But as for Lot, that's what he was all about. He was all about his own self, his own advancement. So off he goes and he pitches his tent. It says near Sodom in verse 12. Pitches his tents near Sodom. Perhaps he knew Sodom was quite an immoral place. Perhaps he thought, well, I'm not going to get right into the center of it. You know, I'm not going to be affected too much by it. Actually, by chapter 14 and verse 12... It says they also carried, when they got carried away, it said they also carried off Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. By this point, Abraham has moved right into the center. 
He's right in the middle of all that is going on. Often when we live surrounding, surrounding ourselves with godless people, we can end up being affected by them. Especially if we're not there and clear why we're there. We can go and live amongst a godless people. People who are doing all sorts of immoral things. Because if we're clear that we're there and we've been sent by God and we're called to be salt and light and we're called to be witnesses to them and we're called to rescue people from that godless place, then we can trust in God. But if we're just there because, hey, this is where the nice houses are. Hey, this is where all the, all the, all the good nightlife is. This is the place to be. Actually, we can become contaminated. We can become affected very much by that godless place. Does it work out well for Lot and his family? Well, no. There's various places in the Bible that tell us, no, it does not work out well for Lot. In 2 Peter and chapter 2, and this is where we hear that, that Lot was a righteous man. Otherwise, we might have been forgiven for thinking he wasn't. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7 says this. Um, it's talking about God sparing people. Um, let's read from verse 6. If God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. And then it goes on. So Peter's making a a different point, but he's in the middle of that point, he's pointing out that Lot has gone to live in Sodom. Sodom, And day by day he was tormented by the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. But he's chosen to go there. But he's being tormented by it. He gets taken captive as a result of the battle that we've read about. In chapter 14, this battle between the different alliances of kings. And they go into Sodom and Gomorrah and they take Lot captive. He's, he gets captured. He, gets, he has to be rescued by Abraham. But then he still goes back. He doesn't learn his lesson. He still goes back. He ends up in, in Sodom again. And he has to be rescued by a couple of angels. Just before the city is going to be destroyed, they pull him out. And they take him, and he's even reluctant then, and they take him and his family, and they say, come on, come on, let's get out of here. The whole place is going to go up in flames. Run out, don't look back, don't look back to the attractions that it offers. But still, Lot's wife, she looks back, she gets turned into a pillar of salt, she's killed. He loses his wife over going there. What about his daughters? We read in chapter 19 how his daughters have been corrupted By this immorality of the place. They get their dad drunk. They end up committing incest with him. They've been affected. They've not been brought up to be godly young girls. No. They've been affected by Sodom. What a mess. What a mess. It's a foolish, foolish move. Which looked so good. To the greedy eyes of Lot. Brothers and sisters, let's take this as a warning. God will give us many blessings as we follow him. But let's not be seduced by the world. Let's not not be seduced by wealth or a bigger house or a nicer place. If God's not leading us there, it's a foolish move. As soon as Lot leaves... God speaks to Abram again and he reminds him of the promise over him. The Lord says to Abram in verse 14 of chapter 13, after Lot had passed from him, lift your eyes up from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Go and walk through the length and breadth of the land. You know, Abram maybe was doubting it was the right thing to do. And this is how we know he wasn't acting out of faith. He was acting in faith. He was believing in God. He was trusting in God. But maybe those doubts are coming into his mind. You know, is this going to work out? I've just let Lot go over there. God said this was going to be an amazing land, a land flowing with milk and honey and all of that. And yeah, I've let him take the best bit. But I did feel it was the right thing to do. And God says, no, it's the right thing to do. God, immediately after Lot goes, he speaks to him. He reassures him. It's all right. 
look to the north, south, east and the west, even that place, even that area where Lot's gone into, it will all be yours. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. You've not lost out. I'm giving it to you and your offspring. And that includes us. It's not just talking about the physical land. Abraham's offspring are those of us who've come into the believing community of God. And our inheritance is more than the physical land. There's an eternal hope that we are looking towards. And God's saying to Abraham, you've not lost out by letting the good land go. When we bless other people, when we're gracious to other people, God will so often bless us and be gracious back to us. And when we give what people don't deserve, actually God keeps on giving us things. And we don't deserve them either. We're not here because we deserve to be here. We're not receiving God's blessings because we deserve to be. We're well aware that we're only here because Jesus paid the price for them. We're only aware here because Jesus paid uh, the penalty for our sin. It was he who deserved it, but we're trusting in him. And God will keep on giving us what we deserve. And so we can afford to be generous. We can afford to bless others. We can afford to be gracious. Because we know we've got a gracious God who owns everything and who loves to give good gifts to his children. and Who will bless us abundantly as we bless others. Once we get tight-fisted and hard-hearted and close off, we get all insular, we grab onto what's ours. Actually, if we're just grabbing, we can't receive what God's giving us. We just be generous. We're gracious. We trust God. He will bless us. And that's what God was saying to Abraham here. He's saying, I'm going to bless you. You're going to come into all of these things. Let's not believe the lie that the enemy will whisper to us. That we're going to miss out. If we do this, well, we're going to miss out. We're going to forfeit the good things in life. We, we can't give that. God, you know, God's given that to us and he's blessed us with that. We can't give that to someone else. Yes, you can. God will bless you again. God will keep on blessing you. Whether we've given our lives to God or not, we need to realize that God is a giver of good gifts. People often say, I speak to people on Alpha courses, and I'm talking to them and they say, yeah, I see it. I, I, I see that this could be true. I'm kind of believing it, but do you know what? I'm enjoying life as it is. Sometimes these are people in there who are young, in their 20s, maybe students. Well, life's great, you know. I'm having a great time. I don't want to waste my student years. I'm going out. I'm having great fun in the clubs. And, you know, and and the relationships that I've got with people. And, you know, I know that I can't do that. I can't live the same sort of lifestyle if I follow God. So, do you know what? I might give my life to God at some point, but not right now. Because I don't want to miss out on these things. It's a lie. It's a lie. You will not be missing out. Things look seductive. Things look attractive. Sin never delivers on its promises. Sin only ever leads to pain and hurt and ultimately death. Don't hold back from following God. From giving yourself to him as Jesus gave himself for you. Don't hold back on that because of some deluded idea that life is going to be so much more fun for a while and then maybe when you've come to the end of your life or life starts to get a bit boring and you hit middle age or whatever you might be thinking, whatever lie the enemy might have put in your mind, don't believe that and think, oh, that's when I'll give my life to God. Actually, no, you'll be more and more entrenched in sin. Maybe right now you're on the edge of, 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 the, of the city of Sodom. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm on the outskirts, I can enjoy it. But actually, give it a few years, you'll be right there in the centre of it if you're not careful. God is wanting to rescue you right now from that. And you can be rescued today. You can follow your, Jesus today and know amazing blessings as a as, as, a, as a, a kind of after, after thing. You'll know God more than anything else and that will be the main thing. And then there'll be additional blessings as well. But that's not the main thing. That's not the main thing. You won't be missing out. You won't be missing out. And for those of us who know God, let's not be deceived either. Sometimes we can think maybe we have missed out. I've heard people who've, who've known God from a young age, maybe from childhood, And they get to their teenage years or their 20s and they think, do you know what? I've missed out on a lot. I've missed out on the fun my my non-believing friends have had. It's a lie. 
It's the best place you can be, is to know God from a young age. Don't feel that you've missed out. Abraham did walk with God. He believed God. He walked the land, kind of claiming it in faith. He built another altar to worship God as he went. And then very briefly, we hit chapter 14, don't we? And we see how Lot's actions have led him to be being captured and carried off as part of this war which was now taking place. There was an alliance of four kings against five kings. Okay, four kings are attacking uh, the, the area of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the other areas. There's five kings who were there. They formed an alliance on the other side. We're not going to get into all the names of the kings. Basically, the ones, the five kings, you'd think they'd probably have a bit of an advantage numerically, but they didn't do very well. There was all these tar pits around, which, uh, which were in their land. It was where they lived. And they went and fell into them as they were running away. It wasn't the attackers who fell into them. You think, you know, you're supposed to know the land. Uh, if, if you're defending it, but no. Um, and so they, they all got captured and they all got defeated and Abraham and Lot gets captured as well. Lot gets carried away with his family in this battle and Abraham gets to hear about the capture of Lot. So what does Abraham do? Does he just think, oh, well, do you know what? He deserved it. It was always bound to happen. It's always going to happen. You know, he went off there. He was just greedy. He was just out for himself. What does he expect? It's just the consequences of his own actions. He'll learn from it, maybe. I'll just leave him to it. No, he doesn't do that. He goes out and he sets out to recapture him. He thinks, I'm going to go into battle. Now, this is a guy who's 75 years old at the time, and he's deciding he's heading out to war. Quite amazing. And he said, and he, he gets together with his unbelieving neighbours. He's got a few neighbours. They don't follow God. They don't worship God. They're just living near him. And they uh, and they join with him. So he's got these uh, these guys, um, Mama, Mama, Mama the Amorite uh, and uh, Ana, and they were allied with Abraham. So Abraham, he's obviously living a good life. He's obviously being generous, not just to his nephew. He's obviously blessing other people as well. He's blessing his neighbours because they're going into battle with him. They're fighting his battle. You know, this uh, this 75-year-old guy going, ah, I'm going off to war. And they, they're like, what? You must be mad. They say, no, we'll come with you. We'll come. With, we'll get our guys. You know, we'll, we'll sort them out with you. So he gets these other two guys and all their people. There's 300, I think, and 18 of them. It says somewhere, yeah. Trained men as well. And they all go, and they're all going out to rescue uh, Lot. And so off they go to Dan to attack the kings and recapture what's been taken. It's about a hundred miles that he travelled. hundred miles and he gets to Dan and he, he recaptures Lot. He doesn't just settle at that. He just thinks, right, I'm going to drive these guys out. So he drives all these other guys, these other kings out, another hundred miles to Hobar. Sort of, you know, kicking them as they go. Oh, come on, you know. He doesn't, he's got a lot now, but no, he's, he's getting them really out, out of there. Amazing guy. Abraham does all this in faith. He's, he's, he's seeing he's got to go and do that. Now the point is, this isn't the same as when he lets Lot take some of the land. It's not the same way of acting in faith. At that time, when he let Lot take the land, you could say that Abraham had trusting faith. He was trusting God. He was believing God that God's promises and purposes would all work themselves out. God is sovereign. He's going to work everything out. I'm just going to trust. I'm going to let Lot go. He can have this land. I'm going to be quite peaceful about this and trust in God's purposes. That's what he did there. This time, Abraham doesn't do that. I mean, he could have done. He could have just gone, oh, Lot's got captured. Well, do you know what? God's sovereign. It'll all work out. It'll be all right. I'll just sit back here and uh, put my feet up, watch a bit of TV, um, play my pension. It'll all be okay. He didn't do that. He went into battle. It's not just a, a nice walk in the park. It's not just around the corner. He has to really get stuck in. It was an aggressive battle. And his faith was aggressive and active. He comes up with a plan, doesn't he? In verse 15 of chapter 14, it says, he divided his, during the night, he divided his men to attack them. 
Oh, you go around this side. You go around this side. He comes up with a plan which is going to help them win the battle. It was night. Okay, it's dark. It's going to be the element of surprise. They're going to be asleep. He doesn't just go wandering in going, hey, we're here now. Come on, give us a lot. No, he's got a plan. He's acting in faith. But he's very much active and aggressive faith with plans and strategies. Some people don't like plans and strategies. Some people think plans and strategies are ungodly. And we should just trust God. God will work it all out. But actually, God gives us brains to come up with plans and strategies when we're called to do something. We don't just always sit back with our feet up and expect it all to happen. Equally, we're trusting in God. We're not trusting in our plans and strategies. So he's already demonstrated trusting faith. Now he's just demonstrated active faith. There's actually a third example of Abraham acting in faith, which you don't have time to read about. If you want to look ahead later on at home, maybe, you might want to read Genesis 18. Uh, but Genesis 18 is where God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham pleads with God to save anyone in there who is righteous. He says, oh God, if you, if you find some, you know, 40 righteous men, would you, would you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? And God says, yeah, but okay, well, what about 30? Well, yeah, I will. What about 20? Okay, but what, what about 10? He's praying. He's pleading with God. Really, he knows Lot's there. That's what he's, that's why he's praying. He's thinking, my nephew's there. God's about to blitz the place. You know, the whole place is going to go up like a, like a, you know, a nuclear bomb. Because God's going to strike it, and my nephew Lot's there. It's different again. It's prayerful faith. He's not just thinking, ah, do you know what? If God wants to rescue Lot, he'll rescue Lot. I'll just leave him to it. He's not thinking, I need to get in there before this place goes up. You know, like, like some of the action heroes would do. You know, Bruce Willis would have been like, it's about to blow in, in a day. Let's get in there. Let's get them out of here. You know, and it blows up just as he gets them out. No, he doesn't do that this time. This time he's praying. He's seeking God. He's saying, God, will you spare him? Eventually he gets an answer from God. And these angels go in and he lets the angels go in who are going to destroy the place and they get Lot out. And Abraham stays where he is. And he knows God has heard. Prayerful faith. Calling on God. And then knowing that God has heard. We are called as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus, to many battles. Many battles in our life. One of the battles in, that we face is, is the battle to see people rescued from the kingdom of darkness. We want to see people saved into God's glorious light. So how do we go about that? Well, all three of these types of faith come into play. We can trust God. We can just have confidence in God that he will call those he has chosen. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 says this. Right. For God foreknew, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, so that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. We could just, we can just say, um, we're trusting God. God foreknows people. He knows people before the creation of the world. He predestines them. To become like Jesus. To be conformed into the likeness of his sons. He calls them. He justifies them. He, he makes them right with God. He glorifies them. God does it. We can be confident that God does that. So there are times when we can think, do you know, I'm trusting in God. God is sovereign. God can do what he wants to do. If there are people, if there is my friends and family, I can have that confidence in God. But we also are called to show active faith. And we can plan. And we can strategize. So, as a church, we hold events that we can invite people along to. And we time them so they fit in with other things. So, as you've heard, we've got Adrian Holloway coming. 
Now, we're not gearing everything up to one meeting. And if you're here today and you don't know God, you know, you can walk out of here knowing God. We'd love to pray with you today that you can come to know this God and know Jesus as your saviour and your Lord and your King. But we've got Adrian Holloway coming. We can, we can uh, plan around that. We can think, okay, we've got a meeting. We're going to pray for the sick. We're going to preach the good news of the gospel. We're hopefully going to pray that people are going to get saved. So that's happening. Let's plan and strategize. I'll tell you what, let's have it at a slightly different time. Maybe we're going to get students there at 3 o'clock. We wouldn't get students there as much at 10.30 in the morning if they'd been out the night before. And these are, these are unbelieving people, so we're going to work it around them. We'll meet at 3 o'clock. Um, maybe, and then we think, okay, well, let's have some other events. So we have um, ladies' night. Uh, where we gather a lot of women from all over Sheffield, mainly the north of Sheffield. We did that last Wednesday. At that meeting, we invite people and tell people about the meeting at the end of November. Because we've timed that to fit in with, with the meeting. It's going to fit in then. We had a quiz night last night. It's a great night, a lot of fun. It's good just to do it in and of itself, but actually, we time it so we can tell people, actually, there's this meeting on. We'd love you to come to this event. We're having a music evening next Saturday night. All very different sorts of things. Again, we will mention this Adrian Holloway. It's kind of all thought out. Some of you thought that as leaders of the church, we never do things like that. I can see why you think like that. But actually, there's a bit of thought gone into it. You know, because we're strategizing, we're planning. It's not ungodly. Because we can do that in faith. Sometimes that will mean individually... We, we have to put ourselves out from what we'd normally do. We think, do you know, actually, there's someone who I want to invite. I'd love to see them at this meeting. How are they going to get there? Well, actually, maybe you need to spend time with them, invite them around for a meal before then inviting them to the music evening or before inviting them to the event itself so that you've got a bit of contact. You're not just contacting out of the blue. You're thinking about it. You're planning it. You're thinking, how is this going to work? I'm going to believe God that he's going to work through these things. So we'll invite them around for a meal. And then I'm going to trust God that, that something might come up and that they're going to be free on that night. But there's planning goes into it. Sometimes we have to take courage and speak words of truth ourselves and think we're going to, we're going to do that because we're trusting in God. It's not easy. We're going to trust in God. So sometimes we can have trusting faith, then we, we can have active faith. Other times we display prayerful faith. So we have prayer meetings on a Friday evening most weeks. We call on God to work. We call on God to save people, to rescue people who are in darkness. We call on God to act in people's lives. We call on God to pray uh, that he will heal people who are sick. It's not um, it's not just trusting, it's not actually going and doing something ourselves, but we're calling on God and we're, we're, we're trusting that he's hearing us. Not just trying to persuade people by the force of our personality, not just being passive. And that's just one area of our lives that we might be trusting God for. There are many, many others. The question is, how does God, sorry, how does Abraham know what to do at what time? How does he know when just to go, I'm trusting God? How does he know when to say, we're going in there, we're going to battle? And how does he know when to pray and really seek God? Because wouldn't it be great if, we just, if you just had a list, of, this is what you do at this time, this is what you do here. Why can't there just be one thing that we do all the time? Why can't we just say, well, let's just trust God and just sit back all the time? God's God, he's sovereign, that's fine. The reason Abraham knows what to do is because he's got a living relationship with God. It's not just about a formula. It's not just a set of rules. He walks with God. He knows God. He's in a relationship with God. So he gets wisdom from God. He gets discernment from God about what he should do in any given situation. It's a relationship. It's not religion. It's not a set of rules. He knows God. And that's what everything comes out of. That's how he knows. That's how he knows when to really pray. That's how he knows when to go and fight. That's how he knows when to just trust God, that God has got it all in hand. He loves God. He's in a relationship with God. God speaks to him. He speaks to God. He worships God. 
So the question today is, who are we most like as Christians, as people here today in church, in this meeting? Are we like Abraham or are we like Lot? Now, of course, the answer we all want to give is we're like Abraham. But I suspect that if we search our hearts, many, if not all of us, will find that we have a little bit of Lot in us if not a lot of lot. (laughs) Maybe we get into acting out of fear or just distrust that God isn't going to provide for us. And we can't let go of that because I really don't know if God's going to give me something back. If if I'm going to be all right, I need to hold that ourselves. So we act out of fear. We get all insular. We grasp onto things. Maybe we just think we need to sort this out ourselves at times when actually we should be trusting. Maybe we're like Lot because we think that, actually, this Christian life is all about getting our needs met. Maybe we've started to get sucked into that way of thinking, which has started to permeate, even into churches in our land, that it's all about us. It's all about our destiny. It's all about our future. It's all about our needs being met. It's all about our prosperity. Whatever it might be, we start to believe it. We start to get that perspective. So we see God's provision. We see God's blessings in places which are actually just temptations. And we need to stay clear. Maybe there's a bit of lot can get into us. But God is here today to change our hearts. God is here today to change our perspective. As he did with Abraham. Abraham badly messed it up in Egypt. We heard about it last time, but he badly messed it up. But he forgave God. He res- he forgave God forgave him. God rescued him, and Abraham repented, and Abraham learned from it, and Abraham walked with God, and God's here to do that, to encourage us to walk with Him in faith. Sometimes trusting faith, sometimes active faith, sometimes prayerful faith, often a combination. But walking with God, knowing it's about his plans, it's about his purposes, it's about him. And that's the best place we could ever be. So let's pray now.